This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Host, Toby McKinnon. It is a Wednesday with Wombat, and what a massive show we have over the next two hours. For those joining us that are regulars, welcome on board, and they will know the text line, 0499-736-736. We might have some that aren't so regular on Trot's Life today, and I beckon you to stay with us as... We have a wonderful show today planned out. Philip Giles will join us in the first couple of hours, although he did in the first half an hour, actually. He did tell me yesterday he's terribly hard to get I'm terribly hard to get hold of on the phone. And I said, well, uh, just pick up when I ring you at 11.15. It'll be live radio, my friend. So hopefully Philip will answer the phone when we give him a ring. He had a, a wonderful result with Double Helix. Uh, on Monday in the Central Victorian Trotters Championship final. And what a great drive by Jackie Barker as well. I messaged Jackie after the race uh, to congratulate her. She's such an underrated driver at the top level. Nine Group 3 wins she's had. Uh, nine Group 3s at 17% strike rate in Group 3 level. It wasn't a Group 3 race on Monday, but she just beckons a little bit of opportunity at the top level and uh, she'll take it, don't worry. It's just got to come to her. Uh, not not sure how or when or who the horse will be, but it will happen. She's an outstanding driver going places and having a great start to the year as well, Jackie Barker. Now, after Phil Giles, we'll catch up with some tips from Darren Carroll for Kilmore tonight. I am working at Kilmore tonight. Garrick Knight will join us from New Zealand. We'll also catch up with, I think, Cam from NZB, Cam Bray from NZB Standardbreds will join us. Haven't spoken to Cam for some time, so it'll be great to catch up with him. But by far and away, with all due respect to our wonderful guest, Boyd XL, off the top of the hour at 12 o'clock, we've slotted him in. Uh, it's a not-to-be-missed chat. Boyd XL, world-driving champion five times in uh, what's called four in hand where they have four horses uh, in a cart basically or he's in a cart with with a couple of other people assisting actually you have to see it to believe it go look at uh, typing Boyd XL B-O-Y-D space XL E-X-E-L-L into Google and have a look at what he does and it's a phenomenal sport in what the horses perform over a period of three different uh events and then there's an overall winner at the end of it so the three uh events or competitions or parts or elements however you want to call it consist of a dressage component and we've all seen dressage but this is dressage with four horses in a cart to get them to match 
and do it all at the same time is stunning in itself. Then in the second part is a component of uh, fitness where they basically have a up to 20 kilometer race, but they're not only allowed to go a certain speed, they're not allowed to go above a certain speed. So it's about control and composure for the driver and knowing the speed, which can't be easy. (laughs) You can't go over that speed. And then finally, the one that is, I suppose, the most sensational watch is the agility contest at the end where they have a whole series of uh, obstacles that they have to weave their way through. And all the obstacles have little balls on top. So if you bump an obstacle... And some of them are so tight that only the width of the cart, basically. If you bump one of those obstacles, uh, the ball will roll off and, of course, you'll lose points. Now, the sport is highly challenging and it's about training your horse and driving your horse, which is what we do in harness racing every day. It's the whole component of harness racing is training and driving. They're the two elements that matter the most. And... Boyd has, over the last 10 years, been in 114 world-level events and won 88 of them. That is just... And when you watch what he does, there's so much that can go wrong, so many different elements to the sport where something can go wrong. And you compare that to harness racing, there's, there's a lot to getting your horse right. There's a lot, a lot, a lot to getting your horse right for a, comp- for a race. Here... He has a team of, you're allowed five horses across the weekend. He has a team of five. He has to get them all right, all five of them at peak performance in three different disciplines at the one time. Now, we compare it to Emma Stewart. She might have five runners in a Vic Bread final. Yep, she effectively has done that in the one discipline, not the three disciplines, though. It's phenomenal, really, so... Yeah, five-time world champion. He's won nine World Cups. He is the greatest of all time in the four-in-hand carriage driving, and it's not a hugely popular sport in Australia. It's mainly competed overseas in um, in Europe and America, and Boyd grew up in the Bega Valley and has had a little bit to do with standardbreds across the time, and they're a common horse when you start off in uh, carriage driving, it, it, it's obvious. There's an obvious uh, transfer across from a harness horse, put it in the cart, and it, they're a great horse to learn off. Um, but the horses that he trains and uses now are generally uh, like Norwegian warm bloods. Um, so they're not standard breeds anymore. It's hard to get that dressage discipline, I'd imagine, into a standard bred horse that isn't used to it. They're certainly used to weaving their way around a harness track. But when you watch what they do online, and, and I beg you to go and do it in the first hour if you get a chance, go and watch the agility contest that these horses compete in and to, to train four horses to work together and then have someone to steer them around. It, it, it is absolutely phenomenal stuff. And I've watched a lot of it over the last couple of weeks and uh, we did pre-record this chat with Boyd. He's a very, very busy uh, gentleman, and uh, I thank him so much for coming on because it's a wonderful, interesting chat, particularly when we get into uh, harness racing over in Europe as well. 
Uh, big fella, we're listening in from Danilik and Toby. Now, I know why I only play one game of golf a year. Absolutely disgraceful it was. All the best for your day. Cheers, big fella. And uh, big fella, there's a famous scene uh, from Seinfeld where um, Kramer gets a set of golf clubs and he's talking, Kramer, about uh, going and playing golf with Jerry and how he's going to hit it down the t- down the fairway Whoosh! and how great it's going to be. And he, he, he comes back in. Later in the show, and he storms into Jerry's place. He throws the clubs on the ground. He kicks them, and he says to Jerry, do you want these things? That game's a nightmare. It certainly is a nightmare for a lot of us, big fella. Great to have you on board on holidays. Uh, But, big fella, I think you'll appreciate uh, the Boyd Excel chat at 12 o'clock will be well worth listening to. There's someone, uh, the greatest of all time in his sport, and it's driving and training horses is what he does. And arguably, he's the greatest trainer and driver of horses in the world. And when you bury yourself into what he does, uh, you would understand why I would be saying that. And I don't say it lightly. Let's take a break and we'll come back with Phil Giles, uh, who's a part-time professional harness racing trainer, has been for a very, very long time. And let's just hope uh, he picks up the phone. You're listening to Wednesdays with Wombat on SEN Track with Toby McKinnon. Welcome back to Tarot's Life. It is your Wednesday edition with Toby McKinnon. And after doing a little bit of research this morning, I've been looking forward to this very much. A chat with Philip Giles from the Stall area, Salt Creek near Stall. Now, Phil, firstly, mate, uh, how are you and whereabouts exactly are you? I live right in the, in the main street of Great Western. Oh, beautiful. And have you got a track there or where do you work your horses? No, um, out Salt Creek is about four or five k's out of... Um, um, out of Great Western, sort of around the back, around the back of the Mannings. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was about to say, there's been a couple of good harness uh, folk come out of uh, Great Western. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now, yeah, yeah they, these things don't happen overnight, Phil. When you train a winner like Double Helix, and in my research, the first runner I I found that you ever had was a horse called Yankee Daughter in 1980. Now you might have been training horses before then, because that's about where our records start. When did you get into harness racing? Uh, well, I was going to I was going to harness racing when I was five years old. Was Albie driving? Was Albie dragging you along? Was your dad? Uh, yeah, yeah, Albie. You have done your research, haven't you? <laughs> yes. Yeah, Albie and uh, and my uncle they had a they had a couple of horses with um, Stan Anion at that time. Yeah. Okay. In in stall there, and uh, we all used to go along to the trots. Yeah. Quite quite ironically, and the reason I brought Yankee Daughter up, it ran second in a race, the first one on record, and the winner of that race was a horse called Tammy's Daughter, uh, which. At that stage, I'm not sure if you were married to Tammy or not in 1980. Uh, no. <laughs> no? No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that? Or is, is that something that... Uh, no, I, I, no, I didn't. No, I did not. No, I didn't, know. <laughs> oh, well, there must have been an omen in there somewhere for you. Must have been, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I 
I trained my first horse under Stan Enion's guidance um, in 1970. Wow. So, so you would have only been, well, that's, you were 17, 18 years of age or something back then? About that. Oh, no. Uh, well, um, yeah. Yeah, probably about that. Yeah, about, yeah, I was 15, actually. Yeah. I was born in 50, I was born in 55. Wow. So it's a long yeah. journey, isn't it? Was it? Were there any good ones in the 70s? Yeah, Attractive Lass was my first one. Yep. And uh, she won eight races for us. Yeah. And uh, then it was sort of few and far between through that it, from then on. It was a bit few and far between. Horses bobbed up. Al Della in 1990, you'd had a few years off, yeah. and he won a couple of races for you, and then there was another little gap, and Edwin won a couple of races for you. There's been a few little three- and four-year gaps. Was that just in between horses, or is that as you were having kids and things got a bit hard? Time no, was? that was sort of... It was sort of in between horses, and I was doing a lot of uh, uh, breaking and educating and, and shoeing and stuff like that. So as they come along, I tried them, and if they were all right, I, I kept going with them. T- tell us about Western View Jack. He You, you bred him. He won four yep. races, but his first win was at his second start at an age seven years of age. So it must have been a fair story behind Western View Jack. <laughs> Yeah, that story is just a simple one that it was my laziness. <laughs> he, um, I broke him in. I broke him in as about a two or three year old, and I just had other things going at the time, and I'd just working work him every now and again, you know. Yeah. And then Tammy said to me one day, she said, "You better qualify that horse and see if he's going to be any good." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I said, oh, all right, then I'll take him to stall on Sunday. She said, how long has he been in work? I said, oh, he's been in work long enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I took him to stall, and he, he won by about 50 metres. Absolutely cream. Yeah. And uh, I thought, God, I've got myself a horse here. <laughs> 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 yeah. And he, and he was, never, yeah. He, he had never worked with another horse. Yeah. He had never, he had never seen a mobile barrier. Yeah. Nothing. He'd never been off the place. Yeah. He'd never been off the place. And I just took him to the trials and away he went. And he just took things like that in his stride, did he? Yeah. Yeah, he did, yeah. But I I suppose when you're a six-year-old compared to a two-year-old, you're going to be a bit more like that, aren't you? Surely. Well... Yeah, you you sort of grown up and had a few brains, that you know. <laughs> you would like to think so. Yeah. Then, then in recent times, uh, Dan Under Earl was a good little trotter for you that uh, you you must have sold on, did you, to Danny O'Brien? Uh, no, it was just that the lease was up. Ah, was it a lease? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it was a lease. Yeah, the lease was up, and um, I am. Um, like didn't want to release him, so I thought, oh, I'll turn up. So, at and, that, uh, yeah, that was it. At, at, that, won. at that point, did you think, I've got to get another horse and I want to get another trotter? And Double Helix was probably a bit bit similar in a way to Down Under Earl, what he'd won four races when you got him? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, uh, Tammy, Tammy found him. And um, I've, I'd known the horse ever since the horse started racing because... I know the owner's the previous breeder, and um, 
she found him and bought him. Mm. And um, we just went on from there. So, and he's such a yeah, such a versatile little horse, you know. He's yeah. he's a good little horse. Well, so when you say you know the breeder, that's John Mead you're talking about and Mary yeah, Mead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he didn't have a great record for Meady in, in 32 starts, two wins, three placings, but he educates horses so well, doesn't he? And, and he's so versatile he now, and that goes back to what John would have done with him. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, he's... Um, yeah, uh, Rodney Rodney Barker broke him in. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, no, he, he's such a, a nice little horse, you know, and he's well-mannered little horse, and... Um, everything's everything good about him, and as you said, John does educate their horse as well. So he give he give him a good grounding. He's a good breaker, Rod. Not just horses. Jackie does a pretty good job as well, doesn't she? <laughs> yes, she does. She does a real good job, Jackie. Yeah, yeah. I'm very grateful for what Jackie's done for us. Yeah, she's just. I think yeah. she's highly underrated as a driver, but and. We're just, she's won nine group three races. I know this wasn't a group race on Monday, but at that level, she's got an amazing strike rate. I'd just love to see her get some more opportunities at the top, top level. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. She deserves to go at the top level, doesn't she? Now, t- tell us about Monday. You led and won the heat and you started off the front and just rolled to the lead and Jackie just sort of kept them running at very even tempo the whole way. It was almost like they went the same speed the whole race and she was just too good for them. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I I, uh, I didn't know what was going to happen, you know. Like when you got horses like um, Andy Gass horses in there and John Justice horse and, and some of those bigger named horses, I didn't know how he was going to go. Yeah, and I said to said to Jackie, I said, "Well, what are you going to do?" She said, "If I can get to the front, catch me if you can." Well, and that's virtually what she done. When you line it up, Andy Gath, Lance, John, Anne Marie Conroy, Denny Mullen, yeah. they would have yeah. trained seven, probably seven, eight thousand races between them. He's a, right. he's a, some say hobbyist, I say part-time professional, 68 years of age. You've probably trained 35, 40 winners in your right over 53 years and you beat them all, mate. Yep, that's right. Yeah, but as I say, you've got to have the horse to do it too. 100%, but over yeah. 53 years of training, was that your highlight on Monday? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's like a that that was like a bloody end of dominion to me. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, you know, I've, I've um, I'm not one of the big blokes. I'm only a little fella out of the back paddock, and I'll tell you what, that gave me the biggest thrill of my life as far as uh, winning races are concerned. Hundred percent, and to do it with yeah. Tammy as well, and obviously a connection with Medium and the horse. So it's a wonderful story, Phil. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Well, well, I just hope it keeps going for a while anyway, but. He's such a nice little horse, you know. He's I, when I work them, I just let them go, and they go in forty acres and have a pick of grass during the day and stuff like that. He's the first one that comes up to me in the night, and he sticks his head straight under my arm for a cuddle. Yeah, yeah. So you know, he's he's such a nice little horse to have around. What's what's next for him? Have you opened up the uh, the book and had a look for and playing something out? Yeah, I'm not going. 
We don't we don't have those TMO or betters anymore. Stan starts. They would have suited him down to the ground, wouldn't they? Oh, look, I'd like to see a lot more standing starts. You know, he's he's so quick out of the gate, out yeah. of the stand. You know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Phil. Thanks so much yeah. for coming on. And I think we could hear Tammy in the background having a chuckle here and there. And uh, you might yeah, have you might have to look up that result on Yankee Daughter. 1980, you're in second at Horsham to Tammy's daughter. So uh, there's some sort of synergy there. And after 53 years in harness racing, the Central Victorian Championship final, that photo will go up on the wall and it'll be there forever yep. now. That's right. That's for sure. Okay. Good on you, Phil. Thanks for coming on. Righto. Righto. Thanks, Toby. There's Phil Giles, winner of the Weir's Central Victorian Trotting Championship final on uh, Monday at St. Arnold. And what a great result that was. I, I actually, I messaged Jackie Barker after the race and, and I'll just find her response. And I'm, I'm sure she won't mind me sharing her response. And it said it all. I said, uh, congrats to Jackie. And she wrote back, thanks, Toby. Had a ripper day. And when we say she had a ripper day, she got a treble, won at $61, and she wins the Central Vic Championship. So she said, thanks, Toby. Had a ripper day. Love the little tracks and so happy for Gilesy. Uh, biggest race he's ever won, and he was so happy. Not about herself. She was just wrapped to win a race like that for Philip. And I think that's what harness racing is all about. And uh, honourable mention, of course, to Timmy Mortlock and Double the Hunter. We've I had Tim on about uh, 12 months or so ago. And uh, Double the Hunter, being a horse, we've, we've followed here as well. It's a wonderful story too. Bred by Greg Hargraves, by Cam Lock out of Double Header. And there's a whole heap of these horses. Oh, well, Tim sort of, I think it was Tim's mare, and he took it and bred the horse. We'll have to catch up with Tim sometime and do this story again. And uh, he has been a very, very nice horse since the Mildura Cup Carnival coming up two years ago, that is. Now, Tim, if you're listening, mate, we were having a few beers there two years ago. I can't remember. I don't think he went up last year. We missed him last year, Tim. He was too busy uh, in the butcher's shop. He, he works as a butcher. He is a busy man, Tim Mortlock. He works as a butcher in the morning. He w- w- runs the track at Maryborough, works on the track at Maryborough, and, of course, he trains a few horses. He's a busy, busy, busy boy and does a wonderful job. He's always been a nice horse, this Double the Hunter. Just a nice horse. He's no superstar or no champion, uh, but he, he brought up his seventh win. He won the Central Victorian Championship for Pacers, and, and, and I love these sort of races and seeing horses like Double the Hunter, Tim Mortlock, CC in America, Joe Thompson, Ace Montana ran fourth for Graham Lyon. You know, I love these sort of Matthew Horsnell in the race as well, uh, running six. They're the names that get a chance in races like that. Let's get to a news break, and we'll come back the other side, and we'll catch up with our old mate, Darren Carroll, and see what he is tipping at Kilmore tonight. The SEN app, now compatible with Apple Watch. Download today to listen anywhere, anytime. Making You're listening to Wednesdays with Wombat on SEN Track with Toby McKinnon. The champ is here! The champ is here! The 
Welcome back to Trot's Life. It is your Wednesday edition and the champ, well, he's sort of here, Darren Carroll. He caught up with Garrick, Garrick Knight. He caught up with Gareth Hall uh, earlier on Giddy Up and I'll be working at Kilmore. So, of course, when I'm judging, I can't make too many comments. So we'll get some tips from Darren Carroll for Kilmore tonight. And I did notice Gareth uh, chucked a couple on the end interstate as well for those that are interested. Let's go to Darren Carroll now um, to, to get his best bets at um, Kilmore. Sorry about that, Daz. Um, uh, what are we doing at Kilmore tonight? There's a few winners there for us. Yeah, it's a tough night. Um, certainly one of the toughest meetings of the week, I reckon. I um, mean, Kilmore's becoming a bit like that at the moment. Yeah. Uh, there's 11 races, though, so there's 11 winners. So it's our job to find a couple of them, at least, Gareth. Um, starting off in race one, number four, Little Miss Lily. Um, as the name suggests, she's only a small thing, but I was really taken with her trials before her debut run when she ran second behind a real smart one, followed up with another fourth behind a fair horse at Cobram as well, and then trialed really good last week. So just think, um, you know, it, it'll get out in the market, $3 at the moment, because it's such an even field. Just be patient. Uh, I reckon we'll get around about $4 or even a touch more. And I think it's a nice way to start the night. So race one, number four, Little Miss Lily. And the other one, um, race five, number one, Mars betting again. I've got some slight reservations about the map, um, but I think she's clearly got the best form in the race. And then she's got Chris Alford aboard, so she's got a few things in her favour. She's got a couple of Benny Old runners drawn on the outside that have got gate speed. But I actually think this horse has got the gate speed, but just hasn't been used and a little bit more experienced now. It's been about 240. Uh, it's been, you know reasonably well backed already so far this morning but uh, if it leads it'll just be a matter of getting in the queue I would have thought but I'm not as confident that that's the case but I'm just confident that, that he's clearly got the best form in the race so there's the two race one number four little Miss Lily and race five number one Mars betting again love your work Daz thanks for that cheers Gareth there's Darren Carroll best bet at Redcliffe race three or race two number two Miss Mia the Redcliffe trots and at Penrith we can back Jack Callaghan to lead all of the way race six number one Red Tricks around 280 there with bet 365. Thank you to Darren and to Gareth uh, pinching some tips from them this afternoon. So Darren Carroll, race one, number four, four, Little Miss Lily. Race five, number one, Mars betting again. And Gareth Hall, two by two at Redcliffe, Miss Mia. And six by one at Penrith in Red Tricks. Uh, some tips for this afternoon if you're looking for a winner, or most of those will be tonight, of course. Uh, let's get a break away. Garrick Knight will be back on the other side of the break, and only a couple of uh, horses of interest, but uh, no doubt we can go into a bit more detail as there's some key runners, Rakiro Rebel, and uh, Stylish Memphis is over as well. So we'll catch up with Garrick Knight on the other side of this break. You're listening to Wednesdays with Wombat on SEN Track with Toby McKinnon. Welcome back to Trot's Life and... 
Garrick Knight is on the line. I better introduce him uh, formally. Garrick Knight, brought to us by Knight Exports. If you are looking for a Kiwi horse, email Garrick at knightexports at gmail.com or find him on Twitter at Garrick R. Knight. Garrick, how are you? I'm good, thank you, sir. That was the light version of my intro this week, but I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Uh, it just feels like a light kind of day. <laughs> yeah, pump day, as, as always. Uh, Favourite time of the week, talking to you, because when I hang up, uh, the weekend's only two and a bit days away, so looking forward to it. Uh, they tell me you're um, you're flying at the moment, mate, and uh, I would say if you're flying, you'd be flying in the sky. Yes, uh, <laughs> certainly am flying. Um, that's just, I know you didn't have long to think of that one, to be fair. Um, yeah, no, just a quick note. One at Penrith tonight, uh, listeners, in the sky in the last race, um, the routes. Just, I just wanted to note, it's first up, um, it actually it qualified here about a year ago, um, give or take. I'm not exactly sure when it was, but it feels like it was February or March last year. Um Really impressive type, and it was snapped up fairly quickly by Roy Roots Jr. and his owner, Paul Borg, who aren't afraid to splash the cash for some nice young stock. Uh, the Black Prince, one that springs to mind. Mm. Um, I really like this horse. I, I tried to buy him at the, at the time, and, and it was just a bit slow off the mark. Interestingly, hasn't raced, hasn't well, he trolled when he got over there back in April last year and then didn't race and he's come back now with a couple of trials. I see he had one last week and they went 153 yeah. at Menangle, which, uh, you know, for some of these trial times that these guys run, I do wonder um, what it sets out to achieve. But anyway, look, um, I just, moral of the story is he's a really good horse and from what I know about Penrith, um, I expect he'll be winning probably t- tonight and, Definitely a Saturday night horse going forward. And I would like to see him really uh, go up that ladder fairly quickly because Sky Major is a horse, a sire. been getting a lot of support, a lot of numbers on the ground. And I'd just like to see a nice horse coming out at first crop for him to sort of solidify that. So, um, yeah, hopefully Indus Sky will be that horse. That 30 ran in a trial on the 18th of January. The winner of the trial, Rocco Coco, is a Western Australian three-year-old that's joined the McCarthy team and goes into the uh, R.C. Simpson Memorial Sprint over the 1609, which tells us uh, it's got a they've got a pretty high opinion of it. So I'd be expecting uh, it to go pretty well out of that trial. I think it'll be good form. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Um, yeah, so I know he's drawn wide tonight, but I hear that's all I, about all I can say. I, I hadn't watched those trials. I only just sort of picked up on it about 20 minutes before we came on here, but um, definitely one to follow for those fiends who like to punt on a Wednesday night. Uh, and have you got Jack Callahan made in your um, in your fantasy stable? I have, I have. Um, I'm actually, would you believe I'm ranked number two as we speak in the whole competition? So it's going fairly well. Um, Captain Robbie Morris this week, and he reeled in <laughs> three winners yesterday at Menangle, and he's got a fairly good book at Newcastle Friday night. So optimistic we can stay in the fight. You're, you're ranked number two with me too as well, mate, in case you're wondering. Oh, so, <laughs> um, 
which is a pretty good effort seeing I got three kids, but let's not go into that. Now, Melton on Melton on Saturday night. We've seen a couple of these horses come over with Rakiro in their name of late. So um, I'm not sure if that's the breeder naming them that, but uh, Rakiro Rebel is one that's first up for Jess Tubbs. It's only lightly raced and it's only won the one race. It's a 56 raider. And it goes into a mare, four-year-old and older mare's, I think, basically an MO in the old version. Uh, a very interesting runner. Yeah, look, there's a lot to unpack here, and I, I yeah. have to be a little bit delicate. I'd be a little bit delicate in what I say and how I say this. Firstly, just on the name, yes, um, it's the name uh, an owner over here, Ronnie Daw, gives to all the horses he either breeds or buys from the sales. He he's sort of been a, an owner of uh, some note for probably 10, 15 years, but all, I don't know, three or four years ago, he, he built his own property, state of the art, and made a concerted effort to start buying a lot of yearlings and rename them. And um, this was one of the better ones. So she actually looks, she, she's a she's a very, very classy mare. She had a run through at Ashburton Labor Weekend, which is late October, and it was phenomenal. Um, she sat parked trip in a 55-mile um, outside True Fantasy in Queen of Diamonds. True Fantasy obviously being our best, just retired, but best uh, three-year-old filly last season. Uh, look, th- that run had to be seen to be believed, and I know they had a big rap on her all the way through. I will say this, she was then due to start on New Zealand Cup Day mm-hmm. um, and was warmly supported in a strong race, but was scratched by the stewards on race morning. Um, then underwent a change of stable. She's now in Australia uh, with uh, Lara J Farm, and I think if she runs up to her true ability, they won't see which way she goes because she is a very, very good mare, in my opinion. Very fast, very tough, has the right bloodlines. Um, and the rock and roll heavens, I find, seem to get better with racing and age. And she hasn't been overtaxed. She's four. She's only had nine starts. You know, they've been patient with her. So I think uh, Jess and Greg and their owners are in for a very exciting time with her going forward. Gate speed? Yes, has gate speed. Um, I don't know about Heavenly Charm. Um, The one one on her her outside, Blood Moon, has blistering gate speed, so I wouldn't expect she'd hold it unless she's really fast out. Right. Well, even if she gets crossed, as I said, like, like that, that, that run at Ashburton, I, I would implore form analysts go back and watch that run. Yeah, it was a fast run race, and she was huge. So that gives you an idea of how tough she can be when she's in the mood. I actually look. I spoke to Gavin Smith, who drove her regularly, um, and did the handling of her just before she left. And he spoke effusively about how good she was, um, and that's good enough for me. So, yep, I um, yeah, she she's a lot better than the level she's in at the moment, the rating. Uh, I think 12 months' time, she'll be one of the better mares in Victoria, I would suggest. Wow. Uh, speaking of good mares from New Zealand, one, we have seen this horse a number of times, one of New South Wales Oaks. She came over here. She ran second in a Vic Oaks uh, many years ago behind Dr. Susan. And this is the good old days when Kiwis were coming and winning all our races. It might be back on again that but we've seen her come back over she came over she won a ladyship mile she ran fourth in the chariots of fire and uh she's been back since and one another she won four out of six at menangle uh through january through to april last year 
Uh, and returning now, stylish Memphis. She had the one run back on the 7th of January in Australia where she ran second. Uh, tell us a bit more about stylish Memphis. And obviously she goes around in a $20,000 mare's race on Saturday night, race three, number 11 at Menangle. Yeah, this is her farewell tour. Um, I think I think she's in full. I just racking my brain. I had a conversation for a story with Mark Jones around Christmas time. I can't remember if he said it was her or the stablemate La Rosa that had been put in foal. Um, I think it was her. So she's probably only got a few months left. But I know, look, she ran second in the race at Auckland just before Christmas. Her her, her common pattern has been the last couple of years has been race in Sydney through the first half of the year, mm. come home for a spell, come up through the spring, go to Auckland for a couple of mares races just before Christmas, then back to Jack Trainer. Now, Mark Jones did say to me um, earlier, you know, a month ago, that she was as good as she'd ever been at that time of year for him. And he felt like he was sending her over to Jack, um, you know, in fine fettle. So I actually I didn't get to see that first up run over there where she ran second, but no doubt she'll have taken a little bit of um, benefit from it. Tricky race this week, wide draw, um, and it's a very strong field, obviously, with Madrid fresh up, and Derek Tinkerbell's got the gate speed. Baby Kelly, you know, there's some nice horses there, but like Stylish Memphis, she's proven she's group one winner. We know that, we know how good she is, and she's a very, very fast mare. Loves the big track race as well at Menangle. So I don't think she'll be on the track for much longer. If I had to guess, maybe March might be her close off, but yeah. I then again could be imagining that conversation with Mark, but I do think it was her. He said it was, had been put in foul. So. There, there is some, uh, they produce some extra testosterone or estrogen or something when they're in foal, and, and it does give some of them a kick along. They're only allowed to race for a certain a number of months after they are in foal because of that reason. I think it's three, I think it's three months, is it? That's, does that sound right? Oh, I would have said um, four, but I won't go to war on it with you. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um yeah, so I think obviously the the ladyship mile coming up. Uh, well, they changed it. It's called the Queen of Heart. They call it QE2 now, is it? Is it what it's called? Is it, or my, well, there's some race over there. It's yeah. now called the QE2. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's that'll probably might be um, that's going to be the, the main goal for her. So, yeah, look, uh, I do find myself spending a lot more time now looking at the form, especially in um, <laughs> New South Wales. Have to say. It's got you there. Yeah, my brother's right into it as well. Uh, Kyle Marshall, we just touched on it last week. We've got three minutes this week. Uh, we ran out of time mm. last week, but uh, he's moving over to Cranbourne. Tell us a little bit about Kyle. Yeah, look, um, very committed young horseman. He was a good junior driver coming through the grades, and he made a jump very early to become a trainer. Yep. Um, his father had been a part-time sort of trainer, David, for a number of years. But um, I really wanted to give it a good shake. And a couple of years ago, maybe maybe two years this month or next month, he went to the yearling sales and he really spent up on some high-quality yearlings and made an effort to syndicate them. And he turned out two or three really nice horses, um, including Son of Mac, who I think is going to be a stable star when he goes over to Cranbourne. A nice trotter, Yogi's son, another one to look out for. And the third one, Name escapes me, uh, Hugo Maguire, which I think we've talked about previously, which is now with Brent Lilly, I think. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so look, Cole's got a good strike rate. I think he just was frustrated. It's a common story over here in the North Island. Um, a lack of horses, a dwindling number of races, trainers, you know, everything. And when I spoke, I actually broke the story back just the week before Christmas. I not only come out in the mainstream the week before last, but um, I had a good chat to him and he just said, look, uh, the reason we're going over there is uh, more opportunities to race and place the horses. And he said he had a good, a good conversation with Tony and Craig Jamison, who he knew from their time here in, in the north. And um, he did say that he was basically swept off his feet by the administrators in Victoria. Though He was really impressed with HRV, the Cranbourne Club, um, and he felt like he was wanted, whereas he was getting the opposite from the equivalents over here in New Zealand. So yeah. he was very frustrated with a lot of things that have been coming out of the, the uh, head office over here, um, what he viewed as backward steps. So he, him and his partner, Sophie Jeffries, who I think has aspirations to be a junior driver, mm. they made the jump. They're committed, and I think they're going to go maybe April. So, um, yep, not just a good trainer, also a good driver, but I think... He is very much focused on, on developing a stable. So I'll be curious to see how it works out. But that son of Mac is a very, very good horse. I would argue probably in the top five three-year-olds in New Zealand on ability. And I don't say that lightly. So we're losing a really nice horse and Victoria is going to gain one. So he'll be four now then? Uh, no, nice he's in that same crop as... Merlin and Don't Stop Dreaming. So, yeah, just turn three. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Very good. Mm. All right, Garrick, thank you once again, my friend. And we have a lot on down on paper, but the time still goes by. Very well done. Some weeks I think, geez, how are we going to fill up 15 minutes? And then <laughs> we actually talk too much. So. 14 minutes, 14 and a half minutes. Unbelievable. Good on you, mate. Uh, catch you next week. Right. See you, mate. Bye. There is fantasy legend uh, Garrick Knight. Um, I might have to backpedal on that. Uh, he's my number two now. He's uh, hung up the phone, and um, he, he would he, he'd have to only scrape in into fifth position, and maybe sixth if if I put my brother in there too. Three kids: Geraldine, uh, my brother, and then maybe Garrick. Let's get to a break before I dig myself a massive grave. Coming up on the other side of twelve o'clock, Boyd XL. Stay tuned. It is an amazing man. You're listening to Wednesdays with Wombat on SEN Track with Toby McKinnon. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. It is Trot's Life. It's your Wednesday edition. Stay tuned. The other side of this break, legendary horse person, Boyd XL, arguably the greatest on the planet at training and driving horses. He's unparalleled what he has done in the sport he competes in. And it's a wonderful chat. I can't wait to recap it. I did record it last week with Boyd as uh, before he left the country, he was in Australia for a couple of weeks. So stay tuned. Boyd XL on the other side, talking about driving and training horses as he is the greatest. Welcome back to Tarot's Life, and we do mostly talk harness racing on this show, but uh, when it comes to uh, driving horses, there's probably no better person on this planet 
then Boyd XL. Boyd, firstly, mate, uh, you're on the road. You're heading back to the airport. Uh, you, I assume you're heading to what might be called home, and where do you call home these days? Yeah, so thank you. I'm based in uh, Europe. We live in a place called Valkensvard, which is in Holland, uh, quite close to the Belgium and German and French borders, so it's a really good location to to be uh, centred for all our competitions. Your competitions in uh, just, I suppose I'll let you give a bit of a uh, brief on how the three disciplines of what you do actually, how it actually unfolds and, and exactly what you have to do when you compete in, in these carriage races, I suppose is the best term to use. Yeah, the carriage driving sports um, is is was based around from the three-day eventing. So you, you have a dressage phase on the maybe on the Friday and the cross-country phase on the Saturday, um, cone driving on the Sunday. And the first day is really about training and uh, submission of your horses. The second day is rough and tumble and sort of excitement of the cross-country. Yeah. And the third day is checking that you've still got accuracy and control of your horses once you've whizzed them up the day before. Yeah, 100%. So it's the same four horses in all three disciplines, or do you, do you interchange horses? Yeah, you're entitled. We drive a uh, team, which is called a four-in-hand, and uh, you're allowed to compete with a reserve in case you have a horse that's, you know, lame or a bit off-colour. Um, and you can either use that reserve horse for for, for when you have a, an issue or you use that fifth horse um, to enhance your performance on maybe one of your weaker phases. So yeah. at the high high world championship end, you're using it to... And I and I put a marathon horse in, and that um, is a specialist speed horse that's got a pony brain and flies around the course. No, nothing in uh, to do with horses happens overnight. And understanding a horse and training a horse to this level obviously doesn't happen overnight either. Where you grew up in in Bega, tell us about uh, your childhood growing up. Yeah, I started with horses when I was between six and eight and um, I remember all I wanted to do was sort of do pony club and show jumping and that sort of thing and my mother introduced me to a colleague um, she was a school teacher and her another school teacher's husband had horses and she said you know I'd like to come and help a little bit and uh, it happened to be cart horses hackneys with you know with carts and uh, I remember the first day I was devastated and then after a day or two of working with horses, I didn't even see the carriages anymore. I just, uh, my love for horses, I only saw the horses. What sort of horses were they? You say hackneys, were they old standard breeds at all? Were they old thoroughbreds or quarter horses? Yeah, the, the, there were, I mean, of course, when people always um, take up carriage driving, they sort of look at the option of, you know, X X racing standard bred horses. Yeah. Um, there was one of those on the property. Um, but most of them, uh, where I was at that time, were hackneys. Um, a couple of warm bloods, a couple of trichinas that we were playing with, and a couple of Welsh cobs that were coming into the system, but predominantly hackneys. Um, and, the, you know, standard breds have a role. They give people confidence and safety and fun, yeah. and also the thrill of speed. They struggle a bit in the dressage phase, but 
once people get the bug of carriage driving, they, you know, go from phase one to phase two through the types of horses. So then we um, obviously did all the show season with the Hackneys, you know, Sydney Royal, Canberra Royal, yeah, Melbourne Royal, and then um, and then the competition driving in between. So we were sort of mixing between the show season and the competition driving circuit. You know, um, we used to come down to Werribee Park and, you know, uh, Mill Valley Ranch, and places in New South Wales, sometimes up to Toowoomba in Queensland. Um, so, you know, travelling was part of it. A lot of investment in time and obviously resources as well. When by the age of 16, you're Australian national champion. Yeah, and then, you know, that was a... Uh, that was a name, and then after I drove pairs, I drove a pony team, and mm-hmm. then uh, we used to see magazine articles and uh, a, a magazine called Arkenbach, which showed a lot of the competition driving in Europe, from from Hungary, Budapest, you know, through to Sweden and across to England. And I thought to myself, you know, I'd like to see where I fare against the the rest of the world, you know. Um, and so when I was 21, I set off to Europe. Um, I did uh, 12 months in America, yep. um, in Chicago, New Jersey, and then um, then I realised America was a bit too much like Australia, you know, <laughs> geographical um, kilometres to travel for between the shows. So I had a, then I thought I, you know, I needed to go to mainland Europe, and I had a choice between America or uh, the UK, and uh, just for the language, I went to the UK and I. And I was based there for 25 years. So um, I did all the British carriage driving um, circuits. And and that that was interesting too because we were, you know, they had a, a, a an actual summer season of competing, mm-hmm. you know, starting in May, finishing in September. Um, and that was something to learn how to keep horses sound and fit for the whole season, you know, two, show, two competitions a month, you know. Um, Whereas sort of we had a 12-month season in Australia. So you were sort of bringing the horses in six to eight weeks before a show and then giving them a holiday in Australia, whereas to keep them fed all year round in Europe, um, that was another challenge to learn. Yeah, definitely a challenge to learn, keeping them fit and and competing twice a month. And with those three disciplines, the the dressage virtually and then being able to run 20 kilometres, up to 20 kilometres in the middle and then the agility involved in the last one, how do you train all of those three into a horse? Yeah, I mean, you need the same criteria for any discipline, for good trotting horses or good show jumpers or even good dressage horses. You want that good temperament. Um, and then they've got to have the X factor. Um, but when you drive four in there, they've also got a match. Yeah. You know, so you're looking for horses so some of the mistakes I made in the earlier days, you know, I'd buy matching horses that moves well, but I wasn't always choosing good temperament. So you're sort of fighting the tide. Um, but now, and nowadays, I, I'm looking for the temperament and the matching, which makes it twice as hard to find the horse you want. But um, we end up getting there in the end. And once you get a bit of a foundation, you build off that. And, you know, um, 20, 30 years later, you know, we're running a farm now of 70 horses. You know, 20 or 30 of those are customers' horses that we train for people, and the other 30 are sort of my own competition horses, ranging from 
16-year-old to, you know, two or three three-year-olds and two or three four-year-olds that are all being, you know, selected or, you know, checked for to come into the competition competition team in the future. So it's a bit of a roller coaster. You know, you, you don't want to get off the bus. Um, otherwise, the bus keeps driving without you. Yeah, well, I went through 10 of your different horses and the youngest one I could found competing was 10 years of age. So does it take a long time from breaking to get them up to, you know, to world standard at, at your level? Yeah, I mean, it takes sort of, I don't know, you can, you can break a horse to the carriage, you know, in a few months, yeah. but to teach it a competition job or produce it to a higher level, you're looking at three years to get to sort of competition stage and before, you know, you might be good at national level in three or four years. But to be reliable and uh, performing at peak level, it's you're more at the five-year period of time. So you start with them at four-year-old or five-year-old. By the time you get to nine or ten, they you can rely on them to do the performance that you expected them to do. And, and the type of horse I've got, I found... It's a mix of Russian Orlov, Holsteiner, Cleveland Bay cross with a thoroughbred. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> is, yeah. I know every great cake, there's a, there's a recipe behind it. Is that basically what it is? Is it finding that perfect recipe and, and you're getting all those elements of, of those different breeds? Well, most of the horses I drive now are Dutch harness horses, which are sort of a Geldlander, which is a um, a Dutch warm blood crosser, Hackney. So predominantly that's what I'm driving. Then you have these specialists that you sort of come across that you think, wow, that's a special horse. And you look at the breeding and it's a Russian Orlov Trotter or, um, you know, you look at another one and it's a Lipizzana or, or you know, Bob Edwards from Queensland brought some horses out to Europe. He competed in the World Equestrian Games in 2006 and he had one special uh, Cleveland Bay thoroughbred cross called Junior, and and I kept that, and that was a really successful horse. But that was just a clever freak freak of an animal. animal. So um, really, that's where I found you know you're looking for a good horse, which is any breed or you know has got temperament or heart that wants to help you help you. Competing, I went. The last 10 years, you've been to 114 events for 88 wins, 17 seconds, and two thirds. Like, it's absolutely uh, 77% that works out over 10 years. I know COVID obviously slowed things down as far as number of competition, but it's an amazing strike rate. What's the key to that level of success? Well, you know, you know what they say about you. Your grandmother's best recipe that you shouldn't give it away. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> but um, no, just passion for the sport, and you know, the harder you work, sometimes the luckier you are. Hey, have you ever had a look at harness racing? Do you ever go to harness racing in Europe at all, and and go to the trots, or or in Australia? Have you been to the trots at all? Well, where I was born, Vega was quite a big, um, bigger showground, had quite a lot of trotting. So I grew up watching it. Yeah. Um, and I was always, you know, fascinated by it. So 
I used to go down and watch them set up and um, in the uh, set up in the in the what were they, the sort of cattle yards, sale yards where they set up. So I used to go down and watch all that because just the love for horses. And then I'd go and watch the race. Um, I saw some, some spectacular cartwheel effects on some trots and yeah. and some great finish lines on on other ones. So. Um, <laughs> Um, I've I've never actually raced raced them, you know. I've sat behind a lot of trotting horses that have ended up in the competition world, and uh, the speed's incredible. Um, but I've also seen them in Sweden. Yeah, trotting's quite strong in Sweden. Yeah. Sweden, France. Yeah. Um, it's it, they're really strong countries for trotting. So I've seen them quite a lot there, and I've been and watched. A lot of the equipment, and I and I learn a little bit from um, some of the tack and equipment and the tricks that trotting guys want, and I've sort of taken a few of their ideas across into the competition world. It, just going back to the secret to your success, it's it's not one thing, two things, or three things. It, it, it's hundreds and hundreds of things by the sounds of it, and just hearing there that you know taking something from the trotting guys and getting a little tip here and there. You really, uh, it's a great quote that you've said that you've stolen with your eyes a lot in your life. And I love that. Uh, I love that sentence. You, you watch what people do and you steal with your eyes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, you you know, you never, you never think you've made it and keep your feet on the ground and keep driving forward. That's That's what I try to do. Ja- James and Olivia, your two children, are they Australian? Yeah, they've both got Australian passports. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, they're also running English passports. But <laughs> um, my daughter's, um, she's representing Australia. She's only uh, 14, but she's she's mad keen on show jumping. Yeah. Um, so she's she's uh, she had a choice to choose for Australia or or England or Holland to represent Australia herself, so that's good. Um, she loves it. And my son's actually mad keen on water skiing. He's into the slalom water skiing. Um, so as long as they've got a passion for something, we're happy. Well, you you were very keen on water skiing at a young age too, weren't you? Yeah, more to, more to do with it too. I, I enjoy the, you know, well, I've just recently had a break in Vega for two weeks and I enjoy tinkering with the V8 speedboats and um, getting out on the water um, and, uh, you know, and also the skiing side of it. So it's a little bit of a break. You know, I have a two-week break from the year from horses and then just, you know, pretend pretend to be a mechanic. Is there an achievement that stands out higher than all others? Like there's a long list, Order of Australia, Medal, Ream, Acra, Best Athlete, Ariat International Athlete of the Year, five-time FEI World Champion four-in-hand driving and nine-time World Cup indoor driving champion. Is there one actual feat that stands out above all others? You have done your homework. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think... um, you know, when my first, probably the first time I thought I could win a medal was when I got a bronze medal, and then I'd made a lot of mistakes during the competition, and I still ended up with a bronze medal. Yeah. And then I realised, huh, 
actually you just got to minimise the mistakes and, you know, they can be right up there. Um, I remember turning that corner and then I won the gold medal in Kentucky in America and then it, of course, was, well, you won in America but you need to win in, win in Europe. Um, so I remember sort of thinking, right, that needs to be crossed off as well. So when I came back to Europe to win and then probably most one of the the most enjoyable wins was there was uh, six competitions in Arkan. There was sort of two dressage, two dressage days, and then a, a jump and drive with a show jumper and a carriage drive in the main arena, and then a cross country, and then a top score cones, and all sorts of extra competitions alongside the main competition. Mm. And we seem to just win every phase. And that's a bit, you know, um, unheard of because, you know, even when we didn't try to win, you know, some of the phases weren't weren't important to the overall competition win. It, things just sort of went the right way, and we're oh, looking at that. how did we win that one as well, you know? And in the end, by the by the end of the weekend, it was getting a little bit embarrassing. We're putting on our dark glasses, <laughs> keeping our heads down. But <laughs> I do remember thinking, yeah, that was. And and I've never been able to repeat that. So, um, yeah, just to win six six days out of six, uh, that's that's memorable to me just for the fun of it. What what are some of the the best moments? And for me, I can imagine you out on the forest trails at home in at eight o'clock in the morning or something, and and there's no one around. It's just you and the horses and. Is that the most peaceful and beautiful part of the whole thing, where there's no pressure and you're just out with a horse? Well, let's 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 just say nine o'clock in the morning, maybe. <laughs> I'm not a morning person, and to me, to me, there's only um, one seven o'clock in the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. But um, I think, yeah, when you drive a four in hand, you you're occupied the whole time. So you can be out, you know, I go out with a team of horses myself and um, I can, you know, if I drive just a single, you know, it's a little bit one-on-one. Yeah. If you drive four, you're mentally challenged all the time. You're looking at the right wheeler and you're feeling the left leader and you're noticing that the right leader's, you know, doing his job on his own and it just keeps you challenged the whole time mentally. So. That's pretty much what driving a four-in-hand's like. It's a bit getting the perfect team. It's a bit like chasing a rainbow, getting that pot of gold at the end. Yeah. You never really find it, but that's why it keeps it a challenge because you're just chasing that perfect team. So it's the challenge still drives you on then? Yeah, that's that's the motivation, and uh, I've been lucky to have it once or twice, Um, and then you're just looking for that try to get back to that high level again all the time. Boyd, uh, I thank you so much for coming on and spending uh, 20 minutes with us. And uh, it's it's a harness racing show, this, but uh, a lot of the skills when I watch what you do uh, would cross over to harness racing and uh, a better driver there is not. And to think to what, and a lot of the listeners will go and watch uh, watch videos of you competing and, and to control four horses like that and, 
uh, absolutely amazing stuff and uh, keep doing what you're doing. And uh, we love having you. As, uh, we, we, you're an Australian forever, even though you live in Europe. And uh, best of luck with James and Olivia as well. Thanks. Thanks very much. That was Boyd Excel, Australian legend of carriage driving, nine-time world champion. His last 110, 114 competitions, 88 wins. Do yourself a favour. Go on to Google, type in Boyd Excel, B-O-Y-D-X-L-E-X-E-L-L, and just watch what they do, particularly... Uh, the agility uh, version on their third element of the competition. Unbelievable. how They wind four horses in between all sorts of obstacles and not allowed to touch the obstacles. And he doesn't just win on the odd occasion. He wins 77% of the time. An amazing man, an amazing Australian at age 50 to have achieved what he has done. Absolutely astonishing. A break, more Trot's Life Up on the other side. You're listening to Wednesdays with Wombat on SEN Track with Toby McKinnon. Welcome back to Trot's Life. Some shenanigans going on between studios. The great Nims Azor trying to do a live read in the next studio and I'm running around with an Ajax bottle pretending it's a gun in this one. Now, Boyd XL, we thank him very much for coming on the show. Uh, wonderful chat with Boyd. And for those wondering, the biggest show trots, uh, there was three of them even last year in 2022. And they've been going for for about 100 years, uh, the biggest show trots. Absolutely uh, a part of it, I didn't even know they ran trots at the show there, but they do. So they had three trotting races there last year. And uh, that's where Boyd first saw harness racing all those years ago, as he mentioned. And yeah, what a legend of the world he is, Boyd XL. Such an honour to have him join the show. Let's get to some 12.30 news. And uh, I'll just clear up, make sure that uh, Nims is okay. For the, has, uh, he got a bit of a fright when I uh, approached him through the window with the said Ajax bottle or gun. Pretty little thing waiting for the king Down in the jungle room When I was walking in Memphis I was walking with my feet ten feet off a beer The SEN app, now compatible with Apple Watch. Download today to listen anywhere, anytime. You're listening to Wednesdays with Wombat on SEN Track with Toby McKinnon. Welcome back to Trot's Life and no come down from the world's greatest in Boyd XL to Cam Bray. Cam, uh, are you familiar with uh, a man by the name of Boyd XL in carriage driving? 
no, not really. But uh, I'll take your word for it. Oh, he's uh, world champion uh, five times over, world, nine World Cups. And uh, you'll have to Google him, mate, and have a look sort of thing that you'll enjoy. I better introduce you and say hello to you first and ask you how you are and, and uh, what you're up to. Yeah, no, well, uh, good, good, to, good to hear from you, Toby. Uh, no, I'm here currently at Caracas. Um, uh, with a, a part of what I do, I'm an auctioneer for the, um, the thoroughbreds as well. So our sale thoroughbreds sale starts on Sunday. So cool. I've just stepped away from the trailers for a wee bit for a couple of days to uh, look at some thoroughbreds. Yeah, it's a busy time of the year, and I suppose the last few years has been some real challenges around. Uh, with COVID and the NZB sales. But I sort of would imagine, though, I suppose there's some really good things that have come out of that and you've all been able to keep, uh, but it'd be nice to have people back on the ground from Australia too. Yeah, and we've seen we've seen it particularly here now, like where, as I say, we don't start here till Sunday, but we've seen a lot of Australians. But, um, look, pre-Christmas, we spent a bit of time over in the West and Perth, but some places doing a bit of canvassing for our sales. And one thing, um, we found from a lot of guys over there is that they have uh, been forced to use an online bidding platform and mm. um, they're actually quite happy to carry on doing that, you know. Um, mm. uh, they're really happy. They've got people they trust here in New Zealand to look at them and it's just it's a little bit easy to sit on the couch and bid from home. Yeah, well, and you might save yourself $10,000 too. You think about what a trip costs to New Zealand to look at yearlings. So, yeah. you know, and the quality of the horses that come out of the sales, the, 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 from the bottom to the top, it's not that big a difference, really, is it? No, well, you know, and we've, we've been blessed here in New Zealand um, over the years. You know, our, our catalogue has become pretty elite over the years. And, mm. you know, we, we, we can highlight, highlight some lots. Um, and, and it sort of does highlight probably where it's at. Like, we're, we're lucky enough to have a full brother to copy that. Um, yeah. We've got a full brother to Better Twist, and a ha- and that same horse is also a half brother to King of Swing. We've got a full sister to Muscle Mountain. Um, we've got a ha- we've got half siblings to Three Good Horses, um, and one over the Moon, Ultimate Stride, and one overall, which has led her to doing a job over your part of the world. We've got a full brother to Akuda, and we've also got a full sister to Amazing Dream and uh, Chase the Dream. So. Look, that's just a handful we've highlighted, but that just does show you that the catalogue is packed full of quality. Absolutely, and there's stallions. There's all the ones we know, you know, that have been around for some years, but there's some really good new stallions coming through as well. Yeah, we've got a really quite a quite a draft of Kip, by Captain Crunch. He served a great deal of mares over here in New Zealand, and mm-hmm. uh, uh We've been out and we go around and look at all our horses here a couple of times to date, and like just some real nice types by that stallion. Lather up's got some uh, nice yearlings in the sale, and also um, stay hungry. I think he's only got two or three, but like well, they're nice horses too, you know. And of course, Captain Treacherous, better's the light, yeah. American Ideal, always be Mickey. All those big names all, in as all well, the big and, names. and and, yeah. and a Volstead and a What the Hill as well, and some locals. Like Vincent, who's doing a good job. There's a lot of good stallions there. Yeah, there is. All the stallions are sort of pretty well represented. Uh, Toby, you know, we've got, um, again, good numbers by Bearders Delight, who's probably in his twilight years, but still seems to get a really good book, and, and, and they sell really well too, you know. So, um, yeah, we're really pleased. We've even got some Muscle Hill, um, which we haven't had for a couple of years over here, yep. uh, and some Love Use, which is I think will be the last of them by the sound of it. Yep, and... 
What about race? The race series is developing, isn't it? Yeah, the race series is good. We we tried to emulate with the NZBs similar to like the Karaka Million or, or, or the Magic Million style event. Um, it, we have it just for the three-year-olds here in Auckland on the Friday night before the sales. So we have our we have our two pacing um, sections for the three-year-olds, the Colts and Gowlings, and obviously the Phillies. But that's coupled up with um, the first heats of the Young Gun Series here for the two-year-olds, for both the boys and girls. I think there's the Northern Breeders Stakes for the mares, Phillies and mares at Group 3. So, look, it's a really nice wee race card. There's only sort of six or eight races on that card. So it's just a nice wee um, build into the sale. We're still a month away, so there's plenty of time for people to get over there to inspect from Australia. Yeah. Um, and we've had, we actually did, last week we had the North Island, we had a couple of the drugs pop over. Um, so week after next, we head down to Canterbury in the early part of the week um, and do the Canterbury on-farm uh, tours and parades. And then that last week prior to the sale, we head to Southland and do all the Southland horses. So if anyone's interested in, on notes or, or wants to come over, you're more than welcome. They just give me a call and um, I can make it happen for you. Yeah, they could also email... Katie.mclucky at nzb.co.nz. That's K-A-T-Y dot M-C-L-U-C-K-I-E at nzb.co.nz for any accommodation and travel inquiries. And I'm sure Katie will help you out. Now, those dates, mate, just specifically, you want to run through the exact dates of the sales? Yeah, so the Auckland sales on Sunday the 19th, that does start at uh, 12 p.m. New Zealand time. Um then on the Monday, we head south to Christchurch and we have our trotting-only sale, um, which is on Monday the 20th, starts at 3 p.m. And then, obviously, Tuesday, back to the Paces, where we start again at 1 o'clock and same again there on Wednesday, the 1 o'clock start. So, look, there's four days of um, sales action to be a part of. And as we said, the race night on the Friday night previous to that. Just quickly, 65 trotters is there in that, in that specific trotter sale on the Monday. That's good numbers. Yeah, it's a good number. Yeah, we, I think when we first started it, we, we sort of knocked around the sort of 40-odd. And, and to be fair, it started out as a necessity rather than, and, than doing it. But it's actually grown into something that's actually a really integral part of what we're doing now. Um, just the nature of the complex down there in Christchurch. Uh, it's quite nice to be able to sell well, 65-odd horses now, get them get them out of the way so we can get another 65 horses in on that last day. Um, so, yeah, as I say, it started out as a bit of a necessity, but it's actually become quite a... Quite a little niche market, and uh, there's a lot of people you see there on Monday that you don't see again on Tuesday and Wednesday, and yeah, uh, and likewise, yeah. you know. Uh, over here, in general, and this is only a, a generalisation, a lot of the trotting breeders breed and race them themselves. If if you know what I mean, you you seem yep. to have a, a hot. We have a higher percentage of those in the trotting than the pacing. I'm only you know just just that's yep. just my opinion from viewing. Is it like that in New Zealand as well? Is is it, is it that same sort of feeling? Yeah, it is. It is a wee bit. And, and to be fair, look, we had a, I don't think it was uh, it was no secret, we had quite a tough uh, trotting sale last year. And mm-hmm. um, we put it down to a number of things, probably um, because that trotting gate is just that, probably a little bit more finicky in some respects. Uh, a lot of trainers that could be there or Australians of species just didn't want to play the game, obviously, because it's just a bit tricky. Um, and also, you know, we have these, these uh, great trotting breeders that, for every one colt born, they've got a filly that they want to keep, uh, and they'll race. You know, so a number of our big trotting buyers uh, were sort of inundated with fillies. You know, yeah, and and the, some of those families they get hard to buy into, and then all of a sudden, if one comes through the sales, 
you really they re- people really want to buy into them if that makes sense because they don't come up with that yeah. opportunity too often. Correct, correct. We're actually quite lucky. I don't know if you've ever come across a fella, uh, no doubt Garrett would have mentioned Dr. Luck Chin over the journey uh, on, on your radio shows. He's yeah. uh, 80-odd plus odd um, uh, trainer driver still going around over here in New Zealand. And I think we will actually offer one out of his family, but I don't think it's been available for public auction anywhere um, ever, as far as I'm aware. Well, looking at the pedigree, we've never sold a horse out of that family ever Yeah, okay. when we wrote the pedigree. Yeah, so you're right. There is those sort of things, and, and there will be a few people that will try and get a piece of the party there too, just quietly, yeah. Mate, uh, just one other. I, I said this to a few people last week. We, for a long time, we had New Zealanders coming over and winning all our major races, and just quietly, um, we hated it. But the last two, mm-hmm. or th- the last two or three years during COVID, we sort of haven't had the Kiwis over here winning our races, and. To be honest, mate, uh, we've bloody mischiefs coming over and winning our races because the racing's so much better when Australia and New Zealand combine, if you know what I mean, to find out who is the best. And last week, the Ballarat Cup was was off dial. It was as good a race as we've seen in a number of years. And copy that winning it. Uh, you must be proud to have them back or to have the Kiwis back here and, and beating us. Yeah, well, you know, and, and what a story too. Uh, with with Ray obviously getting injured, you know, earlier this year and, well, I've only seen him last week, and, and uh, he's on the bounce back, but he's still not 100. So I'm really pleased for Ray as well. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I know, what, I know what you mean, what you're saying. With COVID, has been yeah. in the wilderness for a couple of years. It's, not the, it's, it's much the same here at the sales. Um, you know, we see these trainers and, and owners and bits and pieces coming out of the sales every year, and then you don't see them for a couple of years. It's sort of, yeah, it's a bit sad. But, um, and, and I think, really, for, for the harness racing to succeed, uh, or you know, to to survive this modern day, the relationship between Australia and New Zealand will have to continually grow together Correct. for it to be viable. Um, uh, we've got a hard row against our galloping companions, but um, I think if we all work together, we're all going to benefit. I, I've also loved a lot of horse Queen Elida, right? She's still owned by the New Zealand yep. Connections. They identify yep. that they can come to Australia and race and. Something that buyers can really be looking at is buying a horse from the sales, maybe leaving it there until the sales series in New Zealand, and then you've got options, haven't you? You can bring it to Australia, you can leave it in New Zealand for other races, or you can be going backwards and forwards. Some real, because now, now COVID's gone. Like really, New Zealand is a state of Australia, or we should really be just the one country almost. Well, you know, yeah, a lot of Kiwi Tolly wouldn't agree with me, but I think for harness racing, definitely. And when you look at our sales catalogue, you go through them, majority of our horses, and it'll, it'll be more the case now with probably our breeding numbers declining, and, and yours have been on the improve um, for the last couple of years, yeah. that lots of Alabar standing, majority of the stallions in Victoria, that means more of the horses are now Vic breed eligible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, it, and, and it means that majority of my our, our yearling selfies uh, make their mares breed as crown eligible. Um, so, you know, um, that that's done purely on the for, the for the reason that, yes, an Australian could buy their horse here, they could get it broken in here, they could leave it here. Um, they've got the GST exempt for two years after to, afterwards, providing they don't race the horse. So why wouldn't you take advantage of some of that? You know, um, I think obviously New Zealand has a, a pretty good climate when it comes to green grass and bits and pieces. So we do see a lot of our West Australian clients do exactly what you've just said, leave them here and then take them back as a two-year-old or 
all run them through the size stakes harness million series, then send them home, you know? Yeah, 100%. Cam, mate, uh, thanks for coming on. I'll let you get back to all the, the donkey work that you'll be doing. See what I did there? <laughs> Yeah, I like that. I like that. <laughs> Cam Bray, good on you, mate. Uh, I think we've got you for a couple of weeks. We'll touch base again next week too, I think. Good man. No worries, mate. There is Cam Bray from NZB Standardbreds and uh, get involved and uh, in their sale. That is absolutely uh, state-of-the-art, that sales. Let's get to a break. Uh, I've seen Mitch Abaya has uh, put out some tips on Twitter, so I might uh, bring Mitch Abaya in on the other side, and he is one of the great tipsters in the Greyhounds, and I think a lot of our listeners, they don't care where they get a winner from, uh, so we'll catch up with Mitch Abaya on the other side and get a couple of tips for the Greyhounds this afternoon. You're listening to Wednesdays with Wombat on SEN Track with Toby McKinnon. Welcome back to... It is Trot's Life, but we don't mind getting a winner absolutely anywhere. And the Greyhounds are on in uh, my neck of the woods, Hillsville, this afternoon. And I reckon that's Mitch Bay's neck of the woods when it comes to racing tracks as well. Mitch, how are you, mate? I'm very well, Toads, and yourself? Yeah, yeah, really good. You grew up in the Yarra Valley with me, I reckon, so Hillsville's like playing at home, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, I uh, only live in uh, Wandanese, so probably about 20 minutes from Hillsville. It's funny enough that my old man actually works at the track, so uh, hence why it is one of my favourite tracks going around. And, um, yes, a fair few uh, of our greyhounds are running up there today, which is nice to see. Yeah, okay. Tell us, you got, you've got put three tips up, uh, Spirit World, race five, number two. Yeah, it uh, was an absolute sick beat last time out. This greyhound has got loads of ability, finally draws a, a box closer down to the rail. Wide runner, I'm talking raging wide runner in box three, Aviana, which should create the space early. And uh, the red's a bit of an average beginner. So Spirit World can step half clean. Um, it'll be awfully hard to beat. This dog's an absolute flying machine. I can't believe the price is still around the $3 mark on sports. I think it's about 280 on tab. So um, the price is there. It, it'll need a little bit of luck. It's not the, the quickest beginner, but uh, it's a very smart animal. Sunny, how do you say this? Bokai? Yeah, that's my old man's dog, actually. Oh, here we go. Bokai. Here we go. Yeah, yeah so... Uh, he owns it. He's been crying out for a wide draw. This dog will almost uh, have half a colour bond on his right shoulder as he's running up the straight. He's yeah, he's just mad to the outside fence. Finally draws a box. It was a really good run last time out in uh, a lot stronger company than this. And there's one very good dog in the race off the red. That is Tinker Norm. He hasn't been to the track. I think that's a big disadvantage where Sonny Bokai has been up there numerous times and flies there. So I think around the $4 mark is extreme value. And for those, you can almost play each way. You're getting about a dollar 60 to place so um yeah he he should be right in this uh up to his eyeballs did he name the dog and where's the name come no. from no no he didn't name the dog he bought the dog um he was a straight track dog and um he had a few issues shoulder wise and um yeah i don't know oh, dad still can't pronounce the name dad's horrible with pronouncing names at the best <laughs> of times but uh yeah i know it's a bit of a hard one 
Uh, Gastro Nemius uh, from yeah. Year 12 PE. That's a muscle in the calf, mate. That's about all yeah. I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, you're spot on there. Oh, and, uh, right that, yeah, this uh, this trainer, uh, Matty Tab, and uh, the family, they name all their greyhounds after muscles and bones. So I think we saw one the other day, Tibia. You've got Fibularis. Um, and then this one here, Gastrocnemius. Uh, this greyhound, same thing as Sunny Bokai. Mad for the outside fence. Four starts for two wins and a minor. Off box eight. Drops back to 300. He flies up at Hillsville. Uh, this is probably one of the better bets on the day, I reckon. He's still getting around 380 or $4. And oh, same nice. thing, you can go each way. If you want to go that way, you can go straight in the nose. But you know he's going to be right in this race, and it's not the strongest race on the card by any means. All right, mate, thanks for jumping on with me. A couple of Wandon boys on the radio together. Who would have thought, you know, you're Wandon East, I'm Wandon North. There's no actual Wandon. Uh, it's just hard <laughs> to believe. There's no actual Wandon. It's just Wandon North, no, Wandon not. East. You're exactly, you're spot on, you're <laughs> spot on. We're, uh, we're, we're in Wandon East, and I used to play some of my junior footy in Wandon, would you believe it? So, yeah, um, yeah I'm still involved a little bit with the club, and they've just had the new club room. So if you haven't seen them of late, you might be uh, best to pop up because they're pretty good. No, no, I've been there plenty, mate. Uh, yeah, Wandon used to be at the Wandon Yowick, uh, the actual town used to be at Wandon Yowick School there, just near there. And then that's when they were... I went to, that's my primary school. Yeah, yeah. Then when they built the train line through Wandon, uh, they yep. moved the town to north of Wandon and called it Wandon North, and then Wandon itself sort of disappeared. So that's why <laughs> yeah. there's no actual Wandon. There's some history for you. Exactly right. Yeah, no, it's a lovely part of the world. It's not too far away from the city. It sounds like it's about four hours away, but it's not too far away. It's not. Good on you, Mitch. Thanks, mate, for jumping on, and uh, best luck, Wasabe. Anytime. Thanks, mate. <laughs> There's Mitch Abayer, and uh, we can talk about our hometown all day long if we want. Uh, let's get to our final break of the hour. I'm not sure who's up after 1 o'clock. I'll find out.